Cahill Summers. And I'm Deirdre Lynn. You're Chagas Sustainability Advisors and you're welcome to the Chagas Environment Edge podcast number 36, bringing you the latest information, science and opinion to improve farm sustainability. Pollinators provide a vital ecosystem service to the agricultural industry, but are we doing enough to help our pollinators and the wider biodiversity on farms across the country? Ruth Wilson, Farmland Pollinator Officer with the National Biodiversity Data Centre working on the All-Ireland Pollinator Plan, joins us to discuss what we can do on our farms and other initiatives going on to help our pollinators. Ruth, you're very welcome to the show. Thank you very much for the invite. Ruth, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your role? So I'm part of the All-Ireland Pollinator Plan, five-year plan to help our declining pollinators. Um, one, the first objective in the plan is uh, farmland. So we realise how important it is for pollinators. And with the help of the Department of Agriculture funding, uh, my post has been put in place for the plan as a farmland officer. So that's really to engage with farmers um, and provide guidance over the five-year period really to make farmland more pollinator-friendly. So your job is really to assist the implementation of farmland actions on farms. So at the moment, um, Ruth, um, is there an issue or a problem with our pollinators? Yes, um, we're very lucky. We have a great variety of wild pollinators in Ireland, uh, around 100 species um, and just one managed honeybee. So the wild pollinators, um, they, they are... As you've said, you know, they're very valuable to us um, in in farmland, really, for food production and and wider um, benefits. Um, There would be a third of a decline in our wild pollinators, um, really, with the rare species now being pushed out to to smaller areas of Ireland and um, really with the loss of semi-natural habitat. And um, with the commoner species, then it's just how we manage um, our landscape has has caused that that decline. The honeybee isn't is not in decline. Um, it's just the the wild pollinators. Sure, I was watching a documentary um, last so a week ago at this stage. Now, I mean, you're probably more familiar to this than I am, but they, they were actually like it was somewhere in America, and I can't even remember what the crop was. These massive fields, but they had, actually had to bring pollinators into the fields to release them. Um, I presume we're a long way from that, are we, in Ireland? That wouldn't be ideal, I suppose, from, from our point of view. Um, we, that, that's really managed honeybee, uh, managed honeybees being moved around um, America. Um, really, the ideal situation is that, you know, locally, that there's a good, healthy population of wild po- pollinators and um, the landscape really to sustain those. That would be the, the ideal situation um yeah it, it's not good that you would have to move uh honeybees around uh, yes yeah, completely, such, such completely against nature there isn't it yeah just yeah. you mentioned the pollinator plan and that dominates a lot of your work can, can you just give us an idea of what is the all pollinator plan because I, I know a lot of our farmers are j supporters as well and, and I, i've heard of some j pitches that are actually involved in the pollinator plans as well uh, the first phase was 2015 to 2020 um, and so a wonderful idea, a partnership between businesses, councils, governments, individuals, gar- you know, gardeners, community groups. And you mentioned, yes, yeah, sports pitches as well. Um, so really it's working, working with people and providing them with simple guidance on what they can do for pollinators. 
Um, so it, it built great momentum in the first five years. And then our second phase is 2021 to 2025. Um, so it's a, it's a lovely idea just to give really simple actions that uh, how people can help our declining pollinators. People have really rolled in, I think, behind pollinators and biodiversity, haven't they? But people love talking about us, in particular farmers, they're really interested in what's on their farm. Yeah, definitely. Um, and they do want to know more. And um, I suppose we, I, I do believe that we might have um, be a wee bit more removed from, you know, what's on the farm, just with, with the way, you know, intensive agriculture, um, it's so busy, isn't it? And they're, they're in the machinery. Um, so... It's, they're really interested in what they have on their farm and what they can do to help. So it's good to see. I think it's been our experience in the last couple of years um, working in the whole area of water quality and visiting farmers that they they really are interested in the mm-hmm. biodiversity and the value that, is, you know, attributes to everything, aren't they? There's yeah, a bigger and, awareness. Yeah. And I think even, um, you know, it's just joining the dots together, isn't it? You know, um, when you give them wee bits of information, you can see how, the, you know, they're just seeing how it joins together. Um, so to help our water quality, yeah, you know, buffer, buffer strips and stuff, and that can help pollinators as well and field margins and stuff. Um, You've made so, a super yeah. point as well, Ruth, that um, sometimes if you're talking to farmers and like Deirdre, we always talk about water quality, but inevitably biodiversity comes up and a lot of people think bees are, are the only pollinators, but there's flies, there's and not just bees. A lot of people associate just the honeybee with the pollinations, but there's so many other varieties of bees out there as well that help us. Yeah, I mean, uh, as I was saying, the 100 wild, uh, uh, wild bees, you know, with 21 bumblebees. It's amazing there's 21 bumblebees, and they're the top pollinator. Um, but also the solitary bees, um, the smaller bees, they're, they're also very good. And you mentioned flies. Um, not many people know, you know, we've over we've around 180 different types of hoverflies. Um, so some of them are also known as the farmer's friend, um, very good for pest control, you know, so it all it all links in. Um, and moths as well are um, very good at uh, pollinating at night, especially. And then you have the day flying moths. So um, it's just getting people, you know, to to tell people about what what is actually there and um they may not be aware of um, if they've got a nice area on the farm and how that's really contributing. So you're involved um, with farms and, uh, and farming. Um, so could you tell us a little bit about protecting um, farmland pollinators? It's a project that you're looking into at the moment. The National Biodiversity Data Centre is running the Protecting Farmland Pollinators. It's a EI, one of the EIP projects. Um, so that was an initiative that came out of the All-Ireland Pollinator Plan. Um, it's a fantastic project working with 40 farmers in the Kildare area. Um, so they're ranging from different types of farms to age beef, dairy, and also different scale and intensity. Um, so a good range of farmers. And it's just finding small actions um, that can help pollinators and wider biodiversity uh, on productive farms. Um, so baseline survey was done. And uh, it's also an initiative um, the farmer can do as much as they, they like and they get a financial gain from doing that, but it's up to them really and if it fits in with their system, which is nice. Um, so it's really, they've been wonderful. Um, 25 farms have taken action and improved the pollinator score on their farm. Um, and they've taken great pride in this as well, which is wonderful. Um, 
so from that point of view, uh, no, it's good. And we hope from that project, then we'll get uh, further evidence-based actions that we can share with farmers and to create an online tool that uh, farmers could use. What kind of actions are they putting in place, Ruth? A lot of it is around hedges, you know, and hedge management, how you would cut your hedge and when to cut the hedge, um, if there's gaps. And, you know, we would always say retain, um, if there's any semi-natural habit to retain that, and then it's if it needs maintenance or restoration, um, then field margins. Um, they're also creating, all, all the farms created uh, homes for solitary bees. And um, so out of our solitary bees, um, some are ground nesting. And um, so you just have to create a scrape on a, you know, on a southwest sort of facing bank area. Um, sometimes cattle create this naturally, so it's very handy. Um, but it's just getting the farmer, getting the farmer's eye into seeing where it would be good um, to create that, or if he already has solitary bee, uh, you know, nesting on the farm. <clears throat> and then there's a cavity nesting bee. Um, so the farmers have really taken on to that. They are creating um, with, with non-treated pieces of wood, you can drill a, a suitable hole size. Um, and the cavity nesting bees use that. And also just linking in that with the solitary bees, they don't go far to get food. So you just have to make sure that there's food nearby. Um, so food is wildflowers, um, stuff like clover, uh, knapweed, bramble ivy, and then in the hedge, willow, hawthorn, that type of thing. So they just go about 300 metres to get food, um, whereas the bumblebee will travel a wee bit further, up to a kilometre. Uh, so it's just uh, realising that you have to have um, how it all links together. Uh, so you have pollinator friendly sort of habitat areas then on farms. So it'd be important for some farmers that you visit just to conserve what they have. And maybe yeah. then for other farmers to try and build on that. Definitely. And even in, in non-farmed areas, um, just to we'd really encourage to let our native wildflowers grow. You know, if it's just a matter, it's just a matter of let, letting them grow, and then once a year, uh, end of August, September, if the vegetation is cut and removed, that really helps, um, takes the nutrients away and helps that area develop. And it may take time, you know, five or ten years for that area to become species rich, uh, but it, it will get there, and it's just wonderful for pollinating insects. Just myself at the moment to see, you know, farmers are cutting hay in the last couple of weeks. When would be the best time um, to cut hay, you know, not to have an adverse effect on pollinators? Well, July would be the time when it's good for the farmers uh, to take the hay. Um, and I mean, the later, the better. But uh, we're just working, working with the farm. Farmers look brilliant. Yeah. OK. Yeah. But the thing that is important is when the hay or a crop is removed, that you still have a wee bit of habitat left in the field. So that's where lovely big, thick, thick, wide hedges are wonderful. And then if a field margin can be left as well, um, that's just fantastic. So there's a refuge there for the pollinators and they can still find food and shelter. And actually then it's, it's fantastic for they can move around. They tend to follow lines like hedges uh, to move around uh, the landscape so um, even when the crops removed as long as you have that resource on the farm and um, that'd be fantastic. It's great to know. You've, you've mentioned wildflowers a few times now and um, I'm just curious you're after visiting a lot of farmers now in, in, in around Kildare area 
Uh, and what I would find is that sometimes we want quick fixes and these uh, big flower mixes you can buy and spread all over the place. Is that an issue now? We spoke to Catherine Keener, a countrywide management specialist in Beef 2022, and she was kind of warned to stay away from those those quick fixes, flower mixes. And I think you mentioned as well, that let it grow. Is, is that the message you're getting out to farmers? Definitely. With, with um, If they can just uh, natural regeneration, you know, if there's an area and you cut and lift that area, um, that will become species rich. And um, it's more, more of a sustainable option. So that's going to last and you don't have to keep redoing it. And the thing about our insects and wildlife, they need... Uh, habitat all year round, you know, they just don't need a quick fix in the summer, you know, high colour, and they need the rest of that, uh, you know, habitat to survive over the winter and for the rest of their life, you know, all their life cycle. And so definitely um, it's wonderful if if they can just naturally regenerate an area uh, to to supply um, food. The seasonality affects biodiversity. You know, and how could we ensure if the farm has enough food and shelter all year round? You know, winter, um, summer, spring for flora yeah. and fauna. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, I suppose that's come if you have a farm and you just start, uh, maybe you take your map and highlight areas of semi, you know, if there's a wee bit of habitat left, your hedges, um, if you have a wee cups of wood um, or if you have any field margins, a wee wetland area. So just sort of look at what you've got and, um, you know, that's wonderful if you can retain that. And if there's any areas that you, you want to maintain or restore in that, or you maybe want to expand or create habitat as well. So if, if you have that, um, that will provide, uh, you know, all year round. And with our pollinators, then we can see that um, they come out, they, they hibernate um, just the queen hibernates in the bumblebee and then the young of the solitary bee are overwintering, but they come out in the spring very hungry. Um, and I think there's a record, you know, bumblebees need a thousand, visit a thousand flowers, um, you know, to, to at the beginning. So um, you have to have that early flower. So if you can think of the willow, blackthorn, um, and one, one species I think surprises people, dandelion, just fantastic for those early hungry pollinators. Um, so they're sustainable and they last, you know, for them for a month or so. Um, and then in the autumn is also important that we have good flora, flora in the landscape and uh, ivy and bramble are another two species that uh, we've never overlooked in the past. Um, but they are absolutely wonderful. If you look at ivy and flower in the autumn, um, you'll just see it's it's covered in um, all sorts of pollinators. So. And um, that's the sort of thing that we need uh, throughout the year, definitely, not just to think of it, you know, uh, for summer flowers. Uh, it really has to be all year. And for them, for the whole year round. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. If it's ivy and bramble, I think we're feeding the parish's bees at home, then there's plenty of it around. <laughs> yeah, but nothing, we, nothing wrong with that. No, and look, it's actually an important point we were talking about yeah. before. I think it was last year that. A lot of people say, oh, ivy's going to kill your trees, but it doesn't really. It's um, just let it grow there. It's fine. Um, just an, another thing, Ruth, that's just I'm going back to your Calair farmers again. When you'd done the assessment on the farms, the baseline, how, how did they look? Were they good, bad or indifferent or was there a mix? Um, well, there's a project There's a project manager with that project. Um, so they are they've assessed the data now that's been gathered. And so they did a baseline. Um, and they did the farmers put in their um, 
their solitary uh, their solitary bee nests, and um, now they've gone back and assessed, you know, what pollinators have increased or are present on the farms, and they can look at that data. So that, that a report will come out of that. Um, just one wee area that I would say that uh, I hear about that's come up that's very good. Um, there was one farmer had a species-rich grassland site. Um, so that would be quite a rare habitat now, and it's one of our best habitats for pollinators. I'm not sure if you've ever walked through an area um, that's very lovely semi-natural grassland at this time of year, you know, it's just full of pollinators uh, and into, uh, in July and August. Kind of low input pasture, not, not really any inputs. And it's it, there's really floral smells often as well. It's yeah, it's like the old, old hay yeah. meadow yeah. and old pasture. Yeah. Um, so this one farmer in the EIP, um, they're, they're now interest within, it's funny, you know, uh, I do call it on the grapevine, but um, the other farmers are looking at uh, getting some of that seed and helping to restore some of their meadows. So that's a lovely thing that's coming out of the project. Um, so the farmers are very interested in doing that. So it's a lovely, uh, you know, restoration of old old meadows. And uh, I think that just sounds wonderful. How would you get involved then in the surveying and monitoring of biodiversity on farms? If you're a farmer and you're interested in, in doing that, um, a wee starter survey, um, you can download an app which is called a fit count. That's a flower insect time count. Um, so it's a nice wee simple survey. Um, you just survey a square. Um, this It sort of runs between April and September. You can do that at, at any time if the, the temperature and the weather's all right. Um, mark out a 50 by 50 area and just watch that for 10 minutes and count what pollinators visit it. Um, it leads you through very nicely on the app and um, you don't have to know exact species, you know, that it's just grouped into bumblebees, flies, um, so butterflies. So um, it's very simple to follow. I think that would be a good starter. Um, and then if they're specific, if they're interested in butterflies or bumblebees, or um, there, there are monitoring that you can do a transact. Uh, that's a kilometer walk once a month uh, between April and September. Um, so that might be when, when you get to know a wee bit more. There's also very simple surveys for your garden. Um, you find farm gardens are wonderful. And um, some of them are long, long established, you know, the mature gardens. Um, so they can be a real hub for pollinators as well. Um, so you could do a wee garden survey as well. Ruth, for any of our farmers interested in making improvements, where can they get information on the type of work you're doing? Or I know you have a good website yourselves. Yes, um, I would really recommend you uh, visit pollinators.ie and you can click into Farmland there and we have our, our um, farm guidance, uh, which, which would be a good, good start. Um, we've also got some seasonal actions on Farmland that you could do throughout the four seasons. Um, and that would really be, there's some videos as well. Uh, so that would be a good place to start. Do you run events or anything throughout the year? Um, I suppose with COVID, we're just starting to see what, what's available now. So it's lovely. Um, we're doing a farm walk in Gorey on Wednesday uh, in, in, uh, in July. Um, so that will be good. Uh, and then I've been attending the Chagas events as well to engage with farmers. So that's a great opportunity to see and chat to farmers. Um, and we've got some nice resources that go well. You know, they're, they're delighted to get the resources on suitable native 
trees and wildflowers to have around the farm. Ruth, really enjoyed the chat today and keep up the good work. Thanks a million for coming on. Thank you very much. That's it for this episode of the Chagas Environment Edge podcast. Thanks to Ruth Wilson, Farmland Pollinator Officer with the National Biodiversity Data Centre for joining us on the show. Don't forget to rate, review and subscribe to the podcast. You can listen on Apple and Google Podcasts as well as Spotify. And for more information, go to the Chagas website at chagas.ie. I'm Carl Summers. And I'm Deirdre Glenn. Join us next time for the Chagas Environment Edge podcast, Signpost to Farm Sustainability.